groups. So we are grouped according to our age. If you look around here in this uh, room, there are those who are older than us. There are those who are younger. We can also group one another according to our economic status. Those who are rich, those who are poor, or according to our ethnicity, our color, or according to our education, those with PhDs and masters, those who are still struggling to get the undergraduates. Probably this morning, that's why many are not here in church. When exam week, we want to get that degree. It's very important. I'm not saying it's not. Or maybe according to our physical attributes, those who are tall, those who are short, those who are handsome and beautiful, I won't say what the opposite is. And so on. That's what we do. We group and categorize one another. You see, the ancient Greeks were obsessed with wisdom. They loved wisdom. They enjoyed debating. They were fascinated by new ideas. In Acts 17, when Paul was in Athens, you know that he was invited to Mars Hill, where all the philosophers were. Because they were curious, what is this man saying? This is a new idea. Strange ideas. I want to hear they were drawn to eloquent and persuasive words. In fact, for many of them, to get to God, to understand him and his ways, was to be through human intellect, through human wisdom. And here the church in Corinth was being influenced by this. For many of them, the maturity in the Christian walk, was for the elite. And so, in a sense, the group, the category for them was they were the mature Christians and they were the immature Christians. And those who were able to be advanced the level of wisdom, the way they defined wisdom, we are the mature ones. You see, human wisdom had began to influence the church in Corinth. See, Paul has spent the previous verses showing that the cross of Christ is at odd with what the world calls wisdom. He had told them that the wisdom of God was not to be wise or clever in speech or to use persuasive words according to the standards of the day. And maybe as they were reading it, they would have thought, well, Paul, do you mean that wisdom is pointless? But yet, Paul's point isn't that wisdom is pointless. He makes it clear to them in the passage that we have before us today that there is a wisdom to be commended. 
There is a wisdom. This wisdom is for the mature. In fact, as we shall see, he goes, to, he goes on to, to show a distinction between two kinds of persons. It is not between the mature and immature Christian. But rather, it's between the natural person and the spiritual person. And this spiritual person is the person who is mature. Because he has come to see, to know, to understand what true wisdom is. First, Paul describes what this wisdom is in verses 6 to 9. Then in 10 to 13, he shows them how this wisdom can be known, in a sense, how it is reviewed. And in 14 to 16, the result of this wisdom. So first, what is this wisdom that Paul is talking about? What is it all about? If you look at that verse 6, it says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. And what he's saying, if you look at other translations, basically what that word impart means is to speak. And so he's describing the wisdom that he and others who preach and share the gospel speak. He begins by saying what it is not. Notice the negative there. It is not a wisdom of this age of the rulers of this age. The wisdom of this age, which is of the rulers of this age, are doomed to pass away. See, Paul contrasts what comes from men, human wisdom, with what comes from God. The wisdom of the rulers of this age is temporal, It is transient. It is doomed to perish. And the rulers of this age believe, as it says, and he he repeats it in verse 8, are those who crucify the Lord Jesus. The Jewish and Roman authorities, such as Pilate and Cephas, But we can also, in a sense, incorporate all those who, who've come to believe this sort of wisdom. Be the philosophers of the age, the debaters. And even maybe you today who believe that you are a very smart person. Paul says this wisdom is not that wisdom because that is doomed to pass away. It is doomed to perish. It is doomed to come to nothing. But yet, he says it is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. So if it is not the wisdom of this age, which finds its origin in, in man, 
This wisdom finds its source in God. It is of God, but it is secret and hidden. Here, as it describes, as it talks about secret and hidden, as a mystery, he does not refer to something that is unintelligible or available to only those with special knowledge. Rather, it is a mystery, something previously hidden that has now been revealed. See, the New Testament sheds light on what was said in the Old Testament. The New Testament unlocks what was, in a sense, hidden in the Old. The New Testament is the fuller revelation of what God has said in the Old. You know, if you've you've tried to solve a puzzle, I remember trying it once, and... I ended up just destroying it and I dumped it. It is difficult to untangle. And in a sense, God kept this wisdom hidden and secret. It is of him. And told, this wisdom is eternal. As it says there, in the other part of verse 7, It's a wisdom which God decreed before the ages. You see, this wisdom is God's plan A. It's not one that as though after man fell, God says, now what would I do with my creation? No. Even before God made the world, this was his plan. This was what God had decreed would happen before any man stepped his foot on earth. This wisdom, the cross, isn't God's afterthought. It's not as though God invited mankind and asked, oh, now give me advice, what will I do? As Isaiah says, it is one that God decreed before the ages. It is not of this age. It is secret and hidden. And it is an eternal wisdom. Number four, the fourth way he describes this wisdom. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. To think about it, why Jesus was standing before them. They had no idea who he was. For them, he was just a carpenter, the son of Joseph. In their finite mind, For them, this was just someone to get rid of. But Paul says none of them understood this, for if they had, 
they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think about this for a moment. This is the Lord of glory. They had no idea. Paul is saying this is God in the flesh. And they had no earthly idea what was going on. And they crucified him. For them, they were done with him. That was the end of him. This is the Lord of glory. It's not the same thing our friends say, say today. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a teacher. I'm ready to accept him as a prophet, as an example, as a moral teacher, as a guide. But as a son of God, no. As a creator, no. As a savior, no. Man in his finitude cannot understand, cannot see Jesus for who he truly is. And they tell us, the only thing I can believe is the things that I can prove by, say, science. If it's not something that when I walk into the lab, I can't prove. If I can prove it by premise A, B, and conclusion. But is that true? You see, they acted in ignorance and blindness. As Jesus hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Paul is saying they crucified God. They didn't know. They couldn't figure it out. But this was God's plan all along. Again, is this what man would have thought of? Is this what man would have advised God, as Isaiah said, to have God on the cross? Is this what man would have suggested to God? You see, the cross is the triumph of God's wisdom and power over human wisdom and power. It's as if God was saying to them, you think you know what you're doing. No, but I have gotten you where I want you. This is what I am using to save my people. Is this what you, anyone here, is this what you could have imagined? That this is how God saves people. That this is the power of the cross. God on the cross. Is this what you could have imagined? No, you couldn't have. But Paul says in the latter part of verse 7, choose for our glory. It was for our glory. God did this. Christ became sin for us. Christ was nailed on the cross for you. 
so that you can find forgiveness. This is the wisdom of God. This is not the wisdom of man. See, Paul goes on in verse 9, quoting a portion in Isaiah. In a sense, he's saying what man cannot grasp or understand by seeing, by looking, what he cannot understand by human thinking, by human emotions or human will. This is what God has prepared for those who love him. I know this is a verse that so many Christians love. Back home in Nigeria, we cars, you see these stickers on the screen. And for some people, it is, it's heaven. We can't, of course, we can't imagine, we don't know what heaven is. But here God is saying, this is actually about the salvation of his people, about the wisdom of God. It is not what human imagination or thinking could ever have come up with. So that no matter how much you try by your own thinking or imagination to understand this, you cannot. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 17. The preacher there says, I saw the work of God. A man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking it, he will not find it. Even though a wise man claims to know it, he cannot find it out. No matter how smart or bright you think you are, you cannot find out God's plan. By definition, that's what makes him God and you man. You are finite. You cannot find out God's mind by your own thinking. It is an impossible task. But this is what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you really, really love God? Do you love God? The question is not when songs come up and you're moved by emotions. I'm not saying our emotions are wrong. God gave them to us. And so we feel high. No, the question is, do you really love God? Because if you don't, then you're missing from this true wisdom. And the only way you can love God is by acknowledging that you are man. He is God. And you submit to him. So, we've seen what this wisdom is. That it is not of these ages. It is hidden and secret. It is an eternal wisdom. It is one not understood by the rulers of this age. But yet it is one prepared by God. One that comes from him for those who love him.
for their glory. So second, how is this wisdom known? If this wisdom is hidden from man who is finite, how is this wisdom known? 10 to 13 in verse 10, Paul says, These things God has revealed through the Spirit. This wisdom comes through revelation. What man does not know, God has revealed. See, the Holy Spirit is the very means through which God reveals his wisdom. So what God decreed in eternity with Jesus, the Lord of glory, accomplished on the cross, the Spirit of God reveals to us. So what does that tell us? Salvation from the beginning to the end is the work of the triune God. It is God who planned it. It is God who accomplished it. It is God who reveals it. It is completely in no way, shape, or form of man's doing. Salvation is the work of God from the beginning to the end. You cannot, by your own strength or ability, make yourself right with God. From beginning to the end, salvation is God's work. Here, Paul tells us about the Spirit of God. That it is he who has revealed these things to us. For the Spirit searches everything. The Spirit comprehends and understands. He searches everything, even the the depths of God. And in between that, he uses an illustration there. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? I think about it. As you're sat there, you're thinking of something I do not know. Maybe you're sat beside someone who likes you and loves you in the whole of this world, the greatest. The person has no clue what you're thinking about. And maybe if the person knew, probably won't even like you. Only you knows your thoughts, what you're thinking. And the same way, only the Spirit of God knows God's thoughts. Only the Spirit of God can, in a sense, plumb the depths of God. It doesn't mean that the Spirit never knows that the Spirit in his relationship with God, being God, always knows God's thoughts and it is only him that knows and it is only him who can reveal God's thoughts to man. If you cannot find out what the closest person to you is thinking unless they reveal it to you, how much more can you know what God or what God's thoughts are unless he reveals it to you? The Holy Spirit searches even the depths of God. He comprehends, he understands. 
And it is this very spirit that Paul says that we have received. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We have received the spirit, not of the world, but the spirit who is from God. For what purpose? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. See, in verse 10, it says these things God has revealed. In verse 12, understand the things freely given us by God. In verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things. In verse 15, all things. What are these things that Paul is talking about? Well, it's what he has been talking about. The wisdom. The word of the cross. These are the things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us. These are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that the Holy Spirit has revealed. It's not an issue of speculating or guessing, but the Holy Spirit helps us understand the truth of God's salvation. That's exactly what Jesus says the Holy Spirit would do. In John 16, 8 to 15, there Jesus speaking to his disciples says when he comes, that is the spirit of truth, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So if you've received the Holy Spirit, what he reveals is this very wisdom, God's plan of salvation for his people. The real work of the Spirit in a believer is not to tell you which way of the road to cross. It is to understand God's plan of salvation. And it is when you understand that that you know true wisdom and you are mature. That is the point. If you haven't been convicted of your sin, if you haven't known righteousness in Christ, if you do not believe in Christ, then you haven't received the Holy Spirit. You might be coming to church every Sunday. You might be a faithful worker in church. But not having the Holy Spirit. Not having received him. You see, and again, the Holy Spirit of God does not work independent of what God has revealed in scriptures. As I said, the work of the Holy Spirit is not to get you speculating or guessing. God has revealed his plan of salvation. The work of the Holy Spirit is to make you understand it and to receive it and to believe it. And if you haven't begun that, if you haven't begun there, then 
you haven't got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has spoken through God's word and it is he who makes us understand. See, and that's why when I began, I said, what I'm about to do, what we're about to do is an impossible task. You see, we can... We can just all come here and say, let us entertain one another. But you see, what we are actually doing here is what only God can do. It is only God that can take his word, what he has planned from all eternity, and make you understand. No matter how eloquent the man may seem, no matter how persuasive his words are, it is only the Holy Spirit who can break the barrier in your heart. And he does it through his word. During the week, we're having a get-together, and Brother Scott was there. He asked me a question, you know, in the midst of the conversation. Do you, I can't remember exactly, but just about something of being offensive. Do you try to be offensive in your words? <laughs> Is that something you love doing, things along those lines? I said no. I bring that up because probably going to say something that might sound offensive to people and they won't like it. But the truth is this. If you are in a church that has God's word closed, okay, run away from there. No matter, no matter how great or how marvelous the atmosphere might be, if God's spirit isn't walking through his word, Run away from it. Because the fact is this. Many of us are listening to nonsense. It might sound offensive, but it is true. And I'm saying this because I have friends who do, and it breaks my heart. If it's not from God's word and God's spirit walking through his word, run away from it. It is human wisdom, and it is doomed to perish. And it would. The Holy Spirit does not walk independent of what he has revealed. That doesn't mean that we are infallible, no. But it means that the basis, we understand it. Salvation, that is it here. True wisdom. It's not about something that only you can ever understand or appreciate. No, it is. God's true wisdom. Salvation. God's plan to save sinners. God has revealed it in his word. This is what we all have to be faithful to. And if you're in an environment where it is not happening, the atmosphere might seem great, as the word might define greatness. But please run away from it. 
I didn't have that in my notes. I assure you. But it's important that we say it. See, because the fourth thing he says is that the Holy Spirit helps us interpret and he illuminates these truths. And going, to, going back to the idea of being infallible, during the growth group, a question came up. And it was, you know, why is it that this is not so simple? You know, why is it that Whenever I open the Bible, I can't always understand. Well, it is the mind of God, and so we, we can't completely understand. But that's one reason why we exist in, in a community as believers. Because there are those amongst us who have wrestled with God's word more than us. There are those who are more experienced than us. And it can help us understand because we all have the Spirit of God. And so as we come as a community, be it in our growth groups on Sundays, they help us understand. But yeah, they themselves, I'm sure Pastor Andrew doesn't have a perfect knowledge of God's Word. We haven't even begun to understand. But the fact is, the basis, God's plan of salvation, we know it. And that, is, that means that you are a mature believer. So why can a man pick up a Bible, God's word, and it is completely dead to him? But another picks it up and see it come alive. What's the difference? Is it because he has a few more letters after his name? No. The evidence is that he has the Spirit of God. But it is hard work, yes. But it is one that we can do as a community. It is one that you can ask, I don't understand this. Help me understand. The division is not between a mature Christian and an immature Christian. Every Christian has God's spirit. That is what maturity is. So Paul goes on to say that in fact, third, there is a division, there is a distinction. Again, the distinction is not between the mature Christian and the mature one. Rather, it is between the natural person and the spiritual person. The result of this wisdom is that it makes people spiritual and people natural. It makes people mature and makes people natural. It makes people truly wise. And it makes others look at the cross, say it's fully. 14, the natural person, one, does not accept the things of the Spirit. And whereas the believer has received the Spirit of God, the opposite, the natural person does not accept the things 
of God. One, they are folly to him. It is utter foolishness. You walk down on the street and you tell someone, there's a man who was crucified for you 2,000 years ago on the cross. And his death has relevance for every single person on earth, whether you believe in him or not. And so you better believe in him, else you are doomed. He says that's utter nonsense. Of course it is nonsense. To him it is foolishness. He is a natural person. He does not have the spirit of God. It is only the spirit of God that can open his eyes to see, to be convicted of his sin. And you say, oh, the Lord of glory was crucified for me. It is only the Spirit of God that can open his eyes to see that. So it is foolishness to him. He is not, the second Paul says, he is not able to understand them. It's not that he hasn't got the tools to open the Bible. It is that he himself, he is not able there is no ability in him to come to God. There is no ability in him to receive the things of God. Again, going back to our growth group this week, for those of us who were there, we were asked, what is the condition of man? What is his natural condition? Is it a man is ignorant and so he needs more education? Is it a man is sick and he needs drugs and medication? Is it a man... Lacks self-esteem. So he needs someone to motivate him. Is it that he's just rebellious and then he needs legislation? He needs laws to keep him in place? The Bible says that a man without the spirit of God, the natural person, is dead to the things of God. He is dead. He cannot respond. He is blind. He cannot see. He is deaf. He cannot hear. So what does the man need? What is his need? What is the need of a man who does not have the ability to respond to God? You want a miracle. What he needs is a miracle. You see, what you and I need today is not millions in our account. What you need today is not physical healing. That is important. That is, that God can do that. But what every single man needs, the natural person, is the miracle of a work of the Spirit in their life. It is only the Spirit of God that can cause a man that is dead to the things of God, that is blind, to be awakened to the things of God. It is... Only when the Spirit of God comes and He is born again, as we were reminded weeks ago, that you can come to believe. Salvation is God's work from beginning to the end. So, friends, the question is are you born again? Have you come 
to see your need for God. True need. Have you come to see your condition for what it is? Because on the other hand, the spiritual person, he has the spirit of God. The spiritual person has the spirit of God. What is your definition of what it means to be spiritual? There are various definitions of that. But the definition that the Bible gives us is not of some people who can tell you what is going to happen tomorrow and so they can see beyond anything. No, it is that he has the spirit of God. He has been made alive by God. He has come to believe in Christ and he has the ability to discern or to judge all things. Once again, all things in this context has to do with the things of salvation. But he himself is not discerned or judged by others. The natural man does not understand why you dress up and come to church on a Sunday morning, and you sing hymns that were written hundreds of years ago that talk about a man who died on the cross. The natural man does not understand the Christian, but the Christian understands the natural man because the Christian knows where he is walking from. He's walking from a state of spiritual deadness. And so if you're attempting to, to evangelize, to reach out to people, you have to understand that. So that when they reject you, it is sad. But know that it's only when the Spirit of God works. That's why we have to pray for God's Spirit to work when we, when we speak to our friends. Because no matter how much or how brilliant your evangelism is crafted, I love apologetics so much. Probably read it more than I should. But it has saved no man. It is only the Spirit of God that can save a man. Of course, apologetics helps personally. It helps us to see the folly of sin. It helps us to see the folly of a life outside of God. But it doesn't save anyone. The natural man doesn't know God. The spiritual man has the spirit of God. Friends, here lies the distinction. See, the spiritual person then is one who has been awakened, one who has known that he is a sinner, one who has known that he is in a hopeless state without God. And that Jesus is his savior. Have you really gotten there? Because that's the wisdom that Paul is talking about. Have you really gotten there?
Do you know the Lord of glory crucified for you? In the last verse there, Paul quotes again from verse in Isaiah. Who has understood the mind of the Lord to us to instruct him? No, no one, but we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that a great privilege? We have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You have the Spirit of God. And think like Christ. Think like Him. Act like Him. It should affect everything and how we live. And Paul is telling the Corinthians here, you're looking at things from a worldly perspective. But if you actually mature, if you truly know the things of God, if you have the mind of God, then your community life, your life as Christians in the church outside would be different. You won't be looking at things from the world's point of view. You won't be fighting and struggling for the same things the world does and struggles for. Because you have come to see things from God's perspective. Again, going back to our introduction, we love to categorize people. And yes, the Bible categorizes people. The natural man, the spiritual man. Those who are in Christ, those who are outside of Christ. Those who are God's children, those who are not God's children. Those who have received the Spirit of God, and those who have not. Those who are attempting to walk and solve everything through human wisdom, and those who have seen what they could not have ever imagined, what they could not have figured out, which is through wisdom. Christ on the cross. Could you have imagined that? But do you really believe that the Lord of glory was crucified for you? Because if you haven't, then you're still a natural person. But if you have, you are a mature Christian and you have the mind of Christ, then live your life according to Christ's ways. Think like him. Walk in his ways. And you would probably just begin to understand what true glory is. What God has prepared for those who love him.
May God help us all. Amen.